God, it's good to just be still. We are such a busy culture and a busy people. And um, a lot of times, rarely do we stop to just say, God, talk to us. God, I pray tonight um, that you would, you would open our eyes to see things maybe in a way we haven't seen them. Um, I pray tonight that you would convict us. I pray tonight that you would cause us to pray for our future spouses. God, I pray tonight that you would cause us to evaluate our dating relationships. God, I, call, I pray that you would, you would cause us tonight um, to have a higher view of you because we understand maybe a little bit better about what marriage and, and sex and, and dating should be all about. Um, so God, I pray um, that you would speak. Uh, like only you can. We love you, Jesus, and, and we thank you for for the opportunity to worship you, uh, that Jesus Christ, that you you paved the way for. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, go to the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 is where we'll start tonight. Genesis. Um, so tonight, uh, if this is your first time here, uh, welcome to Refuge. We're super glad that you're here. Uh, if, if you've never been, we're really about two things, uh, worshiping God and studying the Scriptures. Well, really three things, uh, and encouraging one another to live out the Word of God. So, welcome. Um, we're in a series right now called Relate, and we're talking about uh, what it looks like for our relationships to glorify God. So, the first week we talked about uh, what it meant for us to honor our parents and um, and. and and then last week we talked about what it looked like for us to have godly, biblical, wise friendships and how those who walk with the wise will become wise. Uh, and, and so tonight we are to the uh, place where everybody wants to be and wanted to, to be the whole time. Um, is We're going to talk about marriage tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about sex tonight. And we're going to talk about dating tonight. So hold on. Ready? <laughs> Here we go. Um, and, and let me let me kind of set this up, okay? Because you're like, dude, you're about to like throw three things at me. Yes, but but here's the thing. I want you to understand tonight uh, the depth of what marriage is all about. Because in about uh, well six to ten years, a lot of you in this room will be married. Okay, so if you're sitting here going, dude, I, I'll, I'll check out because it's a while for me. No, it, the reality is when I was sitting where you were, most of you are in your tw- early twenties, um, like four, three or four years from where you are right now, I was married. Right, and then a couple years after that, I had a kid, <laughs> and now I'm like old guy. So, um, not really. I'm still hanging on in my twenties, man. I got one more year. So, so tonight we're going to look at what this looks like. Now, let me just set this up for you. In a couple of weeks, the next two weeks, we're going to have panel discussions, and so tonight is not going to be insanely practical. I'm not giving you five steps to healthy dating or four steps to a great marriage someday. I, I want to set before you the theology of marriage, the theology of sex, and the theology of dating. But sometimes we get that backwards. Pastors get up and say, I want to give you five steps to a good marriage. But they never talk about the theology of marriage. So tonight we're going to talk about the theology of marriage. Is that okay? Is that cool? Okay. And then the next two weeks, we're going to have panel discussions and flesh that out. And we're going to talk to one another. And we're going to converse with one another. And, and uh, so in one week, girls are going to have a panel with girls that are married and, and talk about all these things. And y'all are going to go off and have girl time, uh, secret life of bees or whatever that is. Um, the, y'all 
y'all sisterhood club over there. And uh, and then the guys are going to sit in here and make steaks and uh, and eat steaks and talk about what it means to be a godly man. Amen? Okay. Uh, we're really not making steaks, but if somebody wants to bring me a steak, we will eat it. Uh, so on your way out tonight, I'm going to preface this and somebody will remind you. Uh, everyone just turn around. You don't turn your chair. Just turn around and look. Um, and Ted is coming up. He's going to be uh, Vanna White for us. Um, he's modeling. Each table, there's a table for girls and a table for guys. And each table has a pink bag and a blue bag. Now, I'm sure you can figure out what that means. Uh, pink is girls, blue is guys. Welcome to middle school. Um, and basically, there's you can put questions in either bag. The blue, the blue bag for girls is questions you want to ask guys. Because the week after next week, we will flip-flop. And girls, you will have a panel of guys to ask till your heart is content. Um, and, and guys, you will have a panel of girls. Uh, so please ask good questions. Like, what is in the mind of a woman? No, I'm just kidding. Um, girls, y'all need to ask good questions too. So tonight, ask questions. Ask anything that you want and drop in the bag. Doesn't mean we'll necessarily answer it, but ask what you want. So that's the next couple weeks, okay? Um, so Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. How many of you guys, uh, how many of you guys like puzzles? Y'all like puzzles? Okay. So I stole this puzzle from my mother-in-law. It's a Thomas Kincaid puzzle. So, uh... Really? If I gave her this puzzle, would that make her happy? No. Um, okay, okay, so... I've got this puzzle. Every Some of you have heard me tell this before. Um, but every year at Christmas time, my great-grandmother, who lived in Fort Payne, Alabama, she worked at a hosiery mill. And every year, she would get two things for us, me and my brother, who's nine years older than me. Um, she would get uh, us socks. And then because she liked puzzles, she would get us a puzzle, usually like a thousand-piece puzzle. And you know that deal? Like, you always buy people the thing that you like. <laughs> like, I do that for my wife sometimes. I'm like, here, honey, here's a Starbucks gift card. Oh, you can't drink coffee. Sorry. You know? <laughs> that works out well. So my great-grandmother, her name was Great-Grandma Dean, and she lived in Fort Payne, Alabama. Um, and if you've ever been to Fort Payne, you know uh, there's nothing. There's like a gas station and half a Walmart. So, so she worked at this hosiery mill. Oh, yeah, there's a hosiery mill there, too. And um, she got a socks and a puzzle every year. And as a kid, that's not like amping you up, right? Like you go in on, on Christmas morning, and you're like ripping out stuff. And I'm like, yeah, He-Man, Castle Grayskull. Oh, yeah, G.I. Joe's. Socks. Sweet. Um, and usually my mom was like, you, you need to figure out that you need to make Grandma Dean feel real special. So, so I got real good at acting, and, and basically I would be like, socks, this is amazing, this is awesome. And I'm like, red socks and blue socks and striped tube socks because it's the 80s. And, um, and my mom's like, tone it down a little bit. <laughs> right? She ain't behind that. She's old, but she ain't dumb. Um, and, then, and then she would get us this puzzle, and I'm like, what in the snot am I going to do with an eight-year-old as a thousand? piece puzzle, right? I can't even like play with my G.I. Joes for five seconds, much less a puzzle. And so if, if uh, who likes puzzles? Raise your hand. Oh, so now your commitment's going down. We'll talk about that later. Uh, so 
So if I were to say to somebody, uh, if I were to say to somebody, um, if you feel like really ambitious and you really like Thomas Kincaid and maybe have his paintings laying around so you know him real well, if I were to give you um, this thousand piece puzzle and maybe lay it on the back of the table and say, hey, you've got all night tonight. You can stay up at the church all night. And, and if we come back in the morning and it's complete, um, Ted's going to give you uh, 500 bucks. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you would try it, right? You would try it out. Okay, so, so here's, the, here's the kicker. This is where we're going tonight. Um, you, can, you can try that, and Ted will definitely give you 500 bucks. I don't know where it's coming from. Um, but but uh, definitely not on the budget. Um, but you don't get this. You don't get the top of the box. You know it's supposed to look like a Thomas Kincaid painting, so that means it's going to be fruity and have windmills and stuff. But, but <laughs> you, uh, you, don't, you don't exactly know what it looks like. So, so here's what would end up happening. You would take some pieces and they wouldn't fit, and then, and then you would get frustrated, so you'd begin to twist and make it look like what you thought it was supposed to look like. And then it would look jacked up. We would come here in the morning and laugh at you because you spent your whole night on a puzzle and it doesn't look anything like that. And here's the reality. I want you to kind of go here with me for a second. Our culture has taken marriage and sex and dating and sexuality and thrown away the top of the box and said we want it to look like what we want it to look like. And so they're putting the pieces of the puzzle together, but when they don't fit the way they think they should, they twist them and they make them fit and it's jacked up. It is jacked up. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to unjack marriage and sex and dating and make it look like what God wants it to look like. So Genesis chapter 2, we get the first view of marriage. Check out Genesis chapter 2. God um, basically ordains marriage. Genesis chapter 2 and 24, He makes man and He makes woman. And then here's what He says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were unashamed. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So God institutes this idea of marriage, this idea of a man and a woman, man and a woman, <clears throat> uh, coming together and becoming what God says is, is one flesh. Now, when Moses wrote this, he didn't realize the gravity of what marriage was all about. So take your Bibles and now go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul is talking in Ephesians, and, and in a couple of, uh, in about a month, we're going to start a series called "In," and it's going to be a walk through the book of Ephesians. So we'll revisit this in a few weeks. But, but Ephesians chapter five, verses um, thirty-one and thirty-two. Paul repeats this, and check it out. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Sounds, sounds familiar. Sounds like Genesis. Sounds like what God did in the beginning with Adam and Eve. But, but look at verse 32. This mystery, if you, got, if you got a pen, underline that, circle that. This mystery is profound. So he says, this thing that God started, this thing called marriage, where a man would leave his parents and join with his wife and this woman, and they would become one flesh. He says, this is a profound thing. Now watch this, verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
So here's what Moses, when he wrote Genesis long ago, right? And he's talking about how God made Adam and Eve. And out of Adam, he made Eve. And out of all that, he brought them together and he constituted the institution of marriage way back then. What Moses didn't understand was there was a mystery being told. There was a deeper thing going on. And it was this. It was that God created marriage. But here's the really cool thing. When you look at Genesis, you don't always realize this. But marriage is this picture already in Genesis of what Christ would do on the cross. What am I talking about? Well... Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. He repeats Moses from Genesis and he says, um, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So here's what Paul's saying that Moses didn't totally get when he was writing it. But now he knows this because he's up there in heaven. Is this marriage at its core. Okay, hear me. Because you're going to be married soon. Marriage at its core is meant to reflect the relationship between Jesus Christ and His church. It's, it's, it's a picture. So in Genesis, even though you read it and you go, ah, I don't really see that. But in Genesis, it is yelling out the gospel because it's saying, this is Christ and His church. And marriage is supposed to be a picture of that. So my relationship with my wife is somehow supposed to be a picture of Jesus' relationship with the church. Right? I'm supposed to reflect that. Someday when you get married, marriage, your marriage will be a picture of Christ in the church. Now here's the really cool part. That's the purpose of marriage. But, but here's the really awesome part. You go, okay, is that it? Like we're just supposed to get married and, and we reflect Christ in His church. There's no joy in it. There's no love in it. There's no emotion in it. Yeah. There is. The byproduct of this is you get to enjoy all the byproducts of it. God sets up marriage and says, I want to have an earthly picture of a spiritual thing, me and my church. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to make marriage and I'm going to create Adam. And out of Adam, I'm going to take Eve and I'm going to put them together and make them man and woman together, one flesh. And it's going to represent me and it's going to be a glorious thing. But Adam and Eve and everyone since then gets to have the joy of that relationship, the intimacy of a man and a wife. And it's just like this. When you get saved, your salvation is not primarily for you. Hang on. Your salvation is that you would bring God great glory. God gets glory out of your salvation. But here's the cool thing. The byproduct of it is you get forgiveness, you get mercy, you get love. So you enjoy that which glorifies God. Salvation primarily is to glorify God. And then you get the byproduct of it. What is that? I don't go to hell when I die. Same with marriage. Same with marriage. So, someday when you get married, how do you reflect this picture of Christ in the church? If the purpose of marriage, big overall overarching purpose, is to glorify God, then how do you do that? First thing is this. Uh, it says here in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, back up just a little bit, in verse 25. Look at this. It says, um, actually go to verse 22, sorry. Wives, submit to your husbands um, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. So here's what it says. Um, basically, it says the first thing, someday when you get married, and, and those of us in this room that may be married, um, the way that you as a married couple reflect this picture of Jesus in the church is, number one, the wife submits to the husband. Some of you guys are like, yeah, that's right, amen. But that's not, that's not the picture that Paul's painting. 
See, the wife submits to the husband, but then here's what it also says. It says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Check this out. It keeps going, and it says this in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, we best represent this picture of marriage when I am loving my wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. He sacrificed for her. He died for her. But at the same time, when my wife is submitting to my leadership, then we are doing that in unison. She's submitting. I am loving her as Christ loved the church, but I am leading. Then there's this glorious picture. And here's the deal. Marriage is this amazing, missional, God-centered, God-glorifying relationship like no other relationship. Because it glorifies the gospel and it glorifies Jesus from the beginning. And here's what Paul says. It's a picture. But the benefits of the picture, you get to enjoy. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, you get to enjoy that. Now let's, let's talk about this idea of submission for a second. Because sometimes we have this warped... You know, people say... Um, you Christians, you tell your wives they need to submit. And, and, and some people have the image of like, you know, someday when you're married, you're just beating your wife and telling her to go make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or something. Like that's her job. That's not what submission means. Think about submission. Here's the deal. Submission is you submit to someone's leadership. And here's what the Bible says. Paul says this. As the church submits to Jesus Christ, so the wife submits to the husband. This is how the picture continues to go forth. And so, how does the church submit to Jesus Christ? The church submits to Jesus Christ by following. And I'm following Jesus because He's a really good leader. And so that means something, men. If you desire for your wife to submit to you and be a picture of Christ in His church, then you have to lead. Let me say that again. Men, you have to lead. If this is going to be a picture of Christ in His church, it means you're the leader and there's something worth submitting to. What women want more than anything in a guy to marry is a guy who will be a spiritual leader that they can respect. But here's the problem. A lot of us guys are not preparing ourselves to be the spiritual leader. If you look around at girls in church, it's typically the women who are serving, the girls who are serving, the girls who are stepping up to the plate, and that should not be. Guys, let me ask you, let me beg you, begin to lead now. Because if you don't, you will get in your marriage and you will default because that's part of the fall. For us to default our role to the women and them to go, okay, I'll be the leader. But that doesn't represent Christ's church. It doesn't. Guys, you have to lead. And, and then sometimes some people will say, well, shouldn't the husband submit to the wife too? And all this stuff. And there's this kind of idea of, of this sense of like submitting one to another. And, and we should submit one to another as believers. The Bible says that. But when it gets to marriage, here's what it says. Wives submit to husbands as the church to Christ. And, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Here's why. Okay, here's why this picture goes wrong when the husband starts submitting to the wife. It's because... Last time I checked, Christ ain't submitting to the church. Right? Christ is not asking us what we would like for Him to do, although some churches would like that. He's not submitting to the church. We're submitting to Christ. And when those things are there, uh, marriage can be this God-honoring, God-glorifying picture of Christ and His church and the gospel. Okay? What does that look like? It looks like, man, you leading and you loving and respecting. And that starts now. 
That starts now. So, so this picture of Christ and His church is here. And so, and so out of that, we kind of begin to get a better understanding of what this is all about. And, and the really cool thing is, when, this is all throughout the Scriptures. I mean, John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. The, the Hebrew understanding of marriage is when you were betrothed to be married, kind of like engaged, that, that basically the husband would go and prepare a place for him and his wife to live, and then he would come back and get them. What does Jesus say? I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and get you. And that's just saying, hey, this is a picture of Christ and His church. And Christ is the bridegroom and we are the bride. And when you're in marriage, you have the opportunity to reflect that. But, but it gets jacked up sometimes because we're kind of jacked up. Divorce. When people aren't, wives aren't submitting and husbands aren't leading, it gets messy. And you know that. You know that. For some of you, that's the reality of your home. And let me say this. You can break that cycle. That doesn't have to continue. You can break that cycle by being a man who will lead and love his wife as Christ loved the church and being a woman who will submit to a godly leader. That cycle can be broken. If that's you. So now let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Okay. Um, so... Sex. Let's let's talk about how our culture views sex. Go to this. Go to the next. Yeah. Here we go. Sex in our culture. Because marriage, understanding what marriage is all about, defines what sex is all about. Okay. And understanding what marriage is all about defines what dating's not. We're gonna get there in a second. So we're talking about sex. So here's some here's some views of sex, and and I bet you every one of these you've encountered or seen. First of all, um, some people kind of view sex as as what I like to call romantic sex. Okay. And, and this is somebody who would say, maybe a friend of yours who would say, well, I had sex with him or I had sex with her because I had these feelings for her and I've never felt this way before for anybody. Anybody ever heard that? Raise your hand. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Yeah. You hear it on TV. You hear it from friends. I, I felt this way and I've never felt this way before. So I knew this must be the person I was supposed to have sex with. Romantic sex is this kind of view that I will give that away um, when I have these romantic feelings. The problem is um, we are sinful and fallen and our feelings betray us, don't they? Have your feelings ever betrayed you? Yeah, because your heart is wicked. And only Jesus can make it pure. So our feelings betray us. The next thing is, some people view sex uh, as casual sex, obviously. Watch, uh, watch TV. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. Check, pick a show. Pick a show. <laughs> our culture is putting forth Our culture is putting forth this casual sex. Like I sleep with this person, I sleep with this person. Some people could call this just playboy sex. Like it's just like recreational kind of sex. And I just have sex with whoever I want to have sex with. The problem is, um, as we're going to see this in a minute, is this mocks. This is a huge mockery of Christ and His church. It's a huge mockery of that. The third kind of, the third kind of view of sex is um, therapeutic sex. And basically what this is is saying, um, now you've probably heard someone say this before, if I don't have a date or I'm not with someone, then I'm not whole. Well, some people take this to the extreme, and I've met people before, that if they're not sleeping with someone, then they feel like they're not whole, they're not fulfilled. So, in fact, someone finds their identity in the fact that they are in a sexual relationship with somebody. I've known people like that before. And then, finally, um, number four, there's pagan sex, which would basically identify all of these things. But, but there's, there's actually people out there now that are saying that sex is a spiritual thing. And this may be more dangerous than all the other ones, because um, all these other ones miss the mark, but this one gets close enough to the mark, because it does say sex is a spiritual thing, and sex is a spiritual thing. 
That's why it's so dangerous. But these, but pagan sex says sex is a, a spiritual thing, and in it they basically say, you know what? As you have sex with people, it's this sense of worship. For instance, there are different mystic cults that are here in the states uh, that practice sex as worship. And so part of the routine of worship is sex with people, and it's just whatever. So there's all these different views of sex. So let's look at like the biblical view of sex that comes out of marriage, knowing that marriage is a picture of Christ in His church and meant to honor Him and glorify Him, where a man and a woman become one flesh. Now, let's go back to Ephesians and, and check this out. What's God's design for sex? Look at Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 again. So God uh, makes this man and this woman, and here's what He says again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So, here's the first thing you have to understand. Some of us know this, but it hasn't sunk in totally. God made up sex. It's His idea. And He liked it. And he was having a good day, right? It's okay to laugh. <laughs> Sex is God's idea, and it's a really good idea, and I'm glad he had it. <laughs> okay? But here's what God says. I like sex. I made sex. Sex is not a bad thing. But here's the crazy thing. is that even the fact that we're talking about sex tonight in a church building makes us feel a little weird. <laughs> But before the fall, if God walked in and talked to Adam about sex, he wouldn't have felt weird talking to God about sex because there was no sin. What we have done is we have taken sex and we have so perverted it. We've taken what God made as good and we've so twisted it and perverted it. And that now we sit in a room that is basically a church building, a place where we talk about God a lot, and we feel weird because we're talking about something God made. How perverted and twisted has this thing gotten? Right? So here's what I want to do. I want to reclaim sex and say, here's the deal. God made it. It's good. It's holy. If it's done right, and it can be God honoring and God glorifying. I I used to work at um, American Eagle when I was in seminary. I worked there like 10 hours a week. And um, they knew that I was in seminary, and and I was an ethics major in seminary. People ask me all the time, what do you do with that? I'm like, I don't know. Um, I ethicize or something. Um, I had a class called Sexual Ethics, which is pretty awesome. Our teacher came in uh, the first day and he was like, uh, pretty much if uh, you get embarrassed easily, you may want to leave this class because we're going to talk about everything. I was like, sweet, this is my class. Uh, and there were some girls that were like, I'm out! <laughs> I was like, yeah, you get out of here. We're going to be guys and talk about sex and God. And so, But... But I was in this class, and uh, I was working at American Eagle one night, and, and uh, I was working the stock room, and my manager's in the back making the schedule. And um, she said, so you're going to class? She's like, do you go to that, uh, that Bible school? I said, yeah, seminary? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, what do you guys do there? And I was like, oh, well, you know, we study the Bible and talk about God. And she's like, like classes? And I was like, yeah. She's like, what classes are you taking? And I said, uh, I said well, this one will get her. I said, uh, I'm taking an ethic of human sexuality. She was like, did you just say sex? I was like, yeah. And she said, well, tell me. And she got all sassy. She said, tell me, what do Christians at a Bible school think about sex? And I said, well, it doesn't really matter what we think. It matters what God thinks. And she said, well, tell me, what does God think about sex? And now I had the curveball for her, right? (laughs) She's thinking I'm going, it's bad, (laughs) you know. And I said, God loves sex. (laughs) 
I think she fell on the floor, right? The schedule was all jacked up that week, man. It was crazy. She said, God loves sex? I was like, yeah, He loves sex. It was His idea. And the problem is, is it becomes really painful when we take it out of its context. See here, Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 harkens back to Genesis. And here's what God says. He created man, He created woman, and that they would become one flesh. Check this out. It's going to be up on the screen. Here's some characteristics of what biblical sex is all about and what it's supposed to look like. First of all, go to the next slide if you would. Um, biblical sex. One man, one woman in the context of marriage. That's how God set it up. The next thing, the function of sex, it's to create oneness. Here's the problem. When we have sex outside of marriage, God designed us that when we have sex, it is not just this physical thing. That's why casual sex doesn't work. That's why romantic sex doesn't work. That's why therapeutic sex doesn't work. And pagan sex doesn't work. Biblical sex works because it's a man and a woman and it's meant for oneness. So when we have sex with someone outside the bonds of marriage, the reason why it's so painful... And I, and, I, and I mean painful in the sense of when you're gone from that person, you carry this baggage and it feels like a part of you is gone is because that is how God intended it to be. He intended for sex to be within the bonds of, the bonds of marriage and it is this thing that brings a married man and a married woman closer together. Oneness. Okay? And when we continue to do that over and over with people, you've seen the illustration before where you rip a piece of your heart and give it to somebody. It's a little used, but it's true. God made sex for one man and one woman for oneness. Now check this out. Also for procreation. Now sometimes uh, there's uh, some friends of ours called the Catholics, and um, and I mean that literally. I have friends who are Catholics, and um, but but some Catholics believe that sex is only for procreation. Like you should have no joy in it. I have a problem with that. <laughs> um, because God made it to be enjoyed. <laughs> but they, some people say, well, it's only for procreation. It's only for making children. Don't have fun. I'm like, how do you do that? Um, how do you do that? But, but it is for procreation because God says be fruitful and multiply. Now, let me do a little caveat here because I, I know some people are walking through this right now. You may say, well, what about the people who can't have babies? Um, that is a result of us living in a fallen world, just like sickness is, just like other things are that we have no control over. But, but sex, one of its purposes is procreation. Companionship and unity, oneness. They shall be one flesh. One flesh. Now, check this out. The ends, the, the purpose, uh, well not the purpose, but the ends um, are offspring, children, and a healthy marriage. If you have a marriage and you're in a relationship and you're a husband and wife and you're, and you're not having sex, Paul warns against that. Because it is such this sense of unifying. He warns against that. He says, he says basically, uh, don't not have sex only for a season of prayer and fasting and then come back together. Because you can't have a healthy marriage without it. Why? Because it creates oneness and creates unity. Now you see the problem. When I have sex with this person, and I'm unified with them. Oh, and then I leave them. And I have sex with this person, and I become one with them. Oh, then I leave them. And I have sex with this person, and I'm one with them. That is not how God planned it to be. And it's like if I gave my, uh, I gave my 12-year-old nephew, Sam, who's crazy, it's like if I gave him a chainsaw, and I said, uh, hey, could you go cut some trees down in the yard? He would probably cut his arm off. Probably. And there would be intense pain, obviously. And what a lot of people do, maybe us in this room, 
is we take this great thing God has made sex, made to be enjoyed, made to be pleasurable, made to bring a husband and wife together, and we take it outside of its context. I'm not going to give my nephew a chainsaw because he's not ready for it. Just in the same way that a person who is not in a married relationship is not ready for sex and it ends up painful. Painful. Some of you know people who live that lifestyle. And though they may hide the mask, they put on the mask, oh, everything's okay, deep inside of them, there's a lot of pain because they've been joined to multiple people and then ripped off. And that is not how God intended it. He meant for it to be one. And the purpose is to glorify God. Purpose is to glorify God. Now let me say this before we move to dating and then before we're done. There is grace upon grace for you tonight. If you're in this room and you've had sex outside of the bonds of marriage, um, there's grace. That's what the cross was all about. That's what forgiveness is all about. And so you're probably sitting here going, dude, I've screwed up. I'm that person. Right? And someday I'm going to have to go to someone and say, I didn't wait. (laughs) I've been joined to a whole lot of people. I wish that she could be here tonight. My friend Jamie Ivey. I talked last week about my friend Aaron, who's a worship leader, who challenges me. He's one of those guys. His wife, she would tell you this if she were here. She, um, she grew up in a Christian home, went to DBU, Dallas Baptist University, uh, was a sorority girl, partier, got drunk every weekend, um, had sex with multiple guys, had abortions. So a lot of shame. Um, she met Aaron. Aaron was a you know, fundamental Baptist kid, preacher kid, grew up, never really did anything wrong kind of guy. He meets Jamie and they fall in love. And one night Jamie told him everything she had ever done. And Aaron said, I forgive you. You're not the same person that you were. And the really cool thing is, Jamie, if she told you her testimony, she would tell you that God restored her virginity for her. And the night she got married to Aaron, she felt and knew that she was clean. So if you're in here tonight, you've, you've been down this road, there's grace for you. That is the message of the cross. Not condemnation, grace. Know that tonight. Know that tonight. So we have marriage that is a picture of Christ in His church that dictates the purpose of sex. But, but let's talk about dating. We're going to land with dating because that's where a lot of us are. Okay? Let's talk about dating. And, and when you think about the Scriptures, um, there's not really anything in the Scriptures about dating. Just say that. Okay? As a youth pastor, I tried to come up with 15 million sermons about dating from the Bible. And dating is not talked about really in the Bible. Now, there's principles we can take and apply them to dating. But watch this. Typically, those principles come from principles about marriage. So tonight, my purpose was marriage first. That tells us about sex. Now we're going to get to dating because marriage dictates dating. But, but marriage tells us, in the Bible at least, more about what dating is not than what it is. And if you can figure out what something is not, you can usually figure out what it's supposed to be. So, so let's spend just a second talking about um, what, what dating is not. Here's what dating is not. Based on what we figured out so far, um, dating is not a picture of Christ in His church. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that, man, that God formed man and He made woman, and then He said, you will go to the movies together. And you, and you will take her to McDonald's. Uh, and she will be mad at you. <laughs> okay. Dating is not a picture of Christ and His church. And here's what I mean by that. 
sometimes in an attempt to be really spiritual, Christian couples will begin to try and act out like they're married. And here's what I mean. I've heard girls say this to me before. Well, he's so overbearing, but I put up with it because I'm supposed to submit to him. And no, you're not. Until you walk down an aisle and you say, I do, you have not coveted with him, so you are not his. Let me say that again. You are not his. Now, that doesn't mean he's not supposed to respect you and love you. But some girls have this messed up view. Dating is not a picture of Christ in this church. Marriage is a picture of Christ in this church. Does that make sense? Everybody following me? So if you're in a relationship where there's a guy, girls, who's oppressive in you, and, and, and maybe he continues to come back and say, hey, you're supposed to submit to me. That's your role. Uh, you can say, uh, no, I'm not, because we haven't been married. Not a picture of Christ in this church. Okay? Now, flip side, guys... That doesn't mean you can say, well, I don't, I don't have to love her and respect her. No, you love her and respect her because she's a sister in the Lord. But you have to be really careful. I had some really wise counsel when I was in college because uh, Rachel and I met when we were in college. And um, at Lee University, uh, it was like the bubble of Christianity in Cleveland, Tennessee. And um, it, was, uh, it was just crazy. I met her in New Testament class. And I fell in love with her. And I told her, uh, eventually, I'm going to marry you. <laughs> but we would go to this park, and it was kind of this, like, f- famous for couples that would go. And there was, like, benches in the park. And it was kind of like, because they're at a Christian school, they wouldn't sit there and make out. Um, but they would sit there and pray together. Now, I know it sounds weird, but follow me. So we would go there because we wanted alone time, and we, we were seeking this intimacy, but we knew that we shouldn't be out there doing something like that, so we would pray together. And I had a professor say to me one day, because um, I was boasting in the fact that we prayed together, and a professor said to me, you as the guy who is a leader in the relationship need to stop praying with her. I was like, what? You're insane. And he said, no, you have entered a level of intimacy that is for a man and a woman in marriage. And if you're praying alone together a lot, that deepens your level of intimacy together. Right? You follow me? And when you get that deep in a level of intimacy, you got to be careful because then other things begin to tempt you. And he said, it is not wise for you to be alone and be going that spiritually deep with your girlfriend because dating is not a picture of Christ in his church. You follow me? Making sense? Okay. Now, second thing, dating is not. Uh, dating is not a dress rehearsal for marriage. Some people will say this, but, um, well, if dating is a dress rehearsal for marriage, then what you're doing is basically going around and trying out different people. Well, I've got to try people on, figure out who I like and what fits me, and someday I'm going to be married. So, you know, we've got to date all these people so I can figure out who is good for me. Dating is not a dress rehearsal for marriage. So if you're dating a bunch of people so you can figure out who is the one for you, how about this? How about you trust God to bring you the one? That's novel. How about we trust God to bring us the right one? And we're not having to go around finding this person, this person. And if dating is a dress rehearsal for marriage, then this is a really good reason for you to live together. If it's a dress rehearsal for marriage. I hear that all the time from people. Well, we live together because, you know, we've got to figure out if we're right for one another and if we can live together. Dating is not a dress rehearsal for marriage. Dating is not a dress rehearsal for marriage. The next thing is this, what dating is not. Um, it is not to be recreational. 
So, if the purpose of marriage is to glorify Christ in His church and be a picture of that, and the purpose of sex is to unify so that that can happen, then dating is not supposed to be this recreational thing. I was talking to Ted and Aaron about this the other day, and Ted said, I see so many singles who date recreationally. Like, they just, they just enjoy dating. And for some of us, it is that we cannot be alone. And so when someone breaks up with us, we have to have someone because we don't find our identity in God. We find it in a relationship. That's another issue totally. But dating is not supposed to be recreational, meaning this. Guys and girls who are dating in here tonight, be really blunt. If you cannot look at the person that you are dating and say, this person I could possibly marry, if they're not even on the list of things that you would admire in someone to marry, if you can't look at them and say, I could marry this person, then why are you dating them? Dating is not recreational. Why would you spend time with somebody that you would say, you know what, I just don't really see myself committing and coveting with them. Then why are you with them? Especially college students. Right? When you're making decisions that will shape your life. So dating is not this recreational thing. It's, if it is, it's a waste of time. So I want you to ask a hard question if you're dating someone here tonight. And I say this because I love you. Think about that person and say, is that person potentially, doesn't have to be, potentially could be my spouse? Could they potentially be my spouse? Do they characterize the things that I'm looking for in a spouse? Or if not, then you may need to say, you know what? This isn't going anywhere. This isn't going anywhere. Last thing is this, uh, what dating is not. Uh, a mission opportunity. <laughs> dating is not an innovative mission opportunity. Okay, uh, We're not taking a trip to dating. Okay, um, Dating does not cost $3,000. We're not going anywhere. Dating is not a mission opportunity. Here's what I mean. Some I hear this sometimes. And, um, well, if I date this guy, maybe he'll come to Christ. If I date this girl, maybe she'll come to Christ. And it goes back to what we talked about last week. You get into that relationship, and you think you'll be the influencer, but you are the influencee every single time. Every single time. And the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. It's talking about marriage. But if dating, right, if marriage is what we're aiming for, then why would we start in dating being unequally yoked? Going back to what I said a minute ago, dating's not recreational. So why would you even start there? Because that relationship is doomed from the beginning. Because you honor and love Jesus. They don't honor and love Jesus. Doesn't mean you can't like them and be their friends, but they don't honor and love Jesus. Dating is not... A mission opportunity. China is. You should go, right? <laughs> Dating is not. Dating is not. Here's what I wanted to do tonight. is paint a big picture of how marriage glorifies God. And if it's done right, if a wife is submitting to a husband, a husband's loving a wife, man, that is God-honoring. And sex within the confines of marriage is God-honoring. But outside of all of that stuff... It's, it's painful and it's messy. And, and what our world tends to do is try to put the pieces of the puzzle together without using the box. Marriage, picture of Christ and His church. Sex is supposed to basically help that happen in bringing the husband and the wife together. And in the process, there's great pleasure and joy. God made it that way. Dating is not a picture of Christ and His church. It's not recreational. It's not a mission opportunity. You say, well, is it okay to date? I don't think the Bible says anything against dating. I don't think anything in the Bible says anything against dating. But you have to ask some really hard questions about who it is you're going to begin to date and how you're going to do it. Are you going to do it in a way that's pure and holy? 
Are you going to guard yourself and guard your heart? And guys, are you going to guard the reputation of the girl you're dating? That's a big deal and it's your job. Right? And it all starts there. It all begins with marriage. It filters down into what God thinks about sex and what dating is not. We figure out what dating is not, we know what it should be. And that really, if we take those things of what dating is not and cut away some things, about half the relationships of people I know would be out. Just being honest with you. Man, God desires so much more from His people in the purpose of marriage and sex and dating. And we have to be counterculture. If we're going to be people who are missional and counterculture, we've got to begin to see marriage for what it is, sex for what it is, begin to live that out. That is the, the goal and the aim is to glorify God in that. Until the day we die. Let me pray for you guys. And um, the band's going to come and do one more song. And I appreciate you all listening and being patient as we unpack some things. Um, just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, um, I, I want to tell you tonight um, that, that if you're in here and, and um, you feel like you've messed up, um, there's grace for you. He made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. The reality is that if you've ever lusted, you've been an adulteress or an adulterer. So we're all kind of in the same boat tonight. It's just some of us who've actually physically gone there maybe have some more pain. And so I want you to know tonight that there's grace. And if you're here tonight and you say, man, I need to talk to somebody. I've not had a good view of marriage because my parents are, are divorced. I've not, I've not lived out um, what God desires for sex because I've had multiple people that I've attached myself to physically. Um, I need to talk to somebody tonight. Um, if you're a dude, I'm here tonight. I'll talk to you. If you're a girl, Aaron's here tonight. You can go find her. Uh, we're available. Ted is available. Tim is available. Tabitha is available. Um, man, talk to somebody. Because what God desires is grace for you and restoration for you so that someday you and your spouse can, um, can be the picture of Christ in the church. Which is pretty awesome. Let me pray for you and these guys are going to lead us in one last song. God, um, I know that's a lot. And so Lord, I pray that um, this would begin to sink in. And we would just have a bigger picture of marriage and a bigger picture of sex and understand what dating is not through all of that. And that, Lord, we would be obedient, God. We would not just be hearers of the Word, but we'd be doers of the Word. And so, God, would you be with us as, as we uh, worship and leave tonight. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can stand up.